last year, growing pains uh, related to sanctification and the pursuit of holiness, but growing pains fits again as a title for this sermon today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for this word. We thank you that you have exalted this word because it is living and active through the working of your spirit who authored it, even now today, for us, illuminating our hearts and minds. We pray that it would be active in us so that we walk away from this place having met with you, having seen Jesus, and knowing how to grow and live well for you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This passage is the grand opening of the complaint department in the early church, and it hasn't closed since the day it opened. At first glance, it may appear that the question that we have or the problem that we have before the church here in this passage is merely one of logistics. It's the early church. There was rapid expansion. There were many needs that were taking place, and there was not enough organizational infrastructure to handle all the needs that arose, and this led to distribution problems. Now, when there are distribution problems in our age, you're supposed to call in UPS or you're supposed to get Watson to come in and help you to figure out how do you get beyond these distribution issues, how do you improve a particular situation. But behind behind this, this issue that is at hand lies some deeper problems that are lurking just behind it, and that's often the way with complaints. We hear a complaint about one thing in particular, but when you try to explore that thing in particular, you realize that behind the thing that is being said or behind the trigger, that's the trigger thing, this this thing that you're hearing about, there's a whole list of other things that are back there, and they're deeper problems, and they're harder to handle than the one that is particularly expressed. So behind this complaint here are issues of trust, of favoritism that is being shown. There are linguistic and cultural issues here, maybe some factionalism that is developing within the church. There's question of leadership. Leadership partiality, leadership abilities that are here, and this leads to the complaining. The sermon then today is about complaining. Point number one, everybody complains. Everyone has a complaint. There are no exceptions. Some of you are very subtle about your complaining. You complain silently and wait for someone to guess what is wrong. Some are not so subtle. Some say exactly what is on their mind. This is the problem that I have with what you are doing or with what someone is not doing. So, if you get this feeling during the sermon today, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is he talking about me? The answer is yes. I am talking about you, you individually. But The good news is, I'm also talking about the person next to you. 
and the person in front of you and the person behind you and the person who's speaking to you today. Everybody complains. Everybody has a complaint about something. From babies to grumpy old men, we complain. I'm not even going to provide some kind of list or some kind of set of examples of the things about which we complain because they're a legion. You know them, you could provide them as easily as I could. Now, when you read a passage like this, this passage, as you read it, should cause a little bit of a pause to go on in our minds as we think about it. You should say, when you, when you hear something like this, that it sounds vaguely familiar. It should particularly sound familiar to those of us who, for the past couple of years, looked together at the book of Exodus. Complaining about food, the lack thereof, the variety, or the taste thereof, is in fact nothing new for the people of God. This word that is used here in Greek, the word for complain, is the exact same word that is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in all of those passages in Exodus and and Numbers that you're familiar with about the people grumbling and complaining to Moses as they were on the way, as they were in the wilderness. I don't often do this, so I'm going to ask you, I usually stick pretty close to one text. I need you to turn back with me to Numbers. If you've got your Bibles uh, handy, turn back with me for a moment to Numbers chapter 11. I had us read earlier in the service the passage from Deuteronomy because it parallels structurally what takes place in Acts chapter 6. But the actual event that inspired or that is re, re repeated in Deuteronomy took place in Numbers chapter 11, and it's really good for us to read that and to hear that and to get a feel for exactly what is going on with them and with us as well. Numbers 11, I'm going to actually read 1 through 17 of this passage. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And that's big. There's a lot of misfortunes that one could complain about. They complained about their misfortunes, and when the Lord heard it, His anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down, so the name of that place was called Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Okay, complaining is not good, and the Lord is angry about the complaining, but as this little tight section goes, it kind of goes the way you expect it. The people complain, the Lord is angry, Moses the mediator functions to ameliorate the anger of God. He prays on behalf of the people. It changes as the passage goes on. Now, the rabble that was among them had a strong craving And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now the manna was like coriander seed and its appearance like that of delium. The people went about and gathered it, 
ground it in hand mills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in the pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of the cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. Now, if this followed the pattern of the earlier section, one through four, Moses prayed to the Lord, and the Lord's anger at the people was stilled. Moses heard it, though, and the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, why have you dealt ill with your servant, and why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom, as a nurse carries a nursing child, to the land that you swore to give to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once, if I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. There's being a mediator, and then they're sick of being a mediator. Sick of both sides. There's no one happy in that passage. The people are not happy, God is not happy, and Moses is not happy. I'd rather die. I'm sick of being in this position. I'm sick and tired of being the head of the complaint department. I resign. Kill me. If, if you love me. If you love me, kill me. Moses is going for a mercy killing to get him out of the situation and the responsibilities that he has here. Praise God. Jesus didn't step out of the role. He didn't step out of the role of being a mediator. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them, them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you, and I'll put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. The Hellenists are those Jews who are primarily Greek-speaking, who were part of the Jewish diaspora over hundreds of years. So they were primarily people who had been exiled at various points in the history of Israel, and they spoke Greek, and they spoke the languages of the towns and the local countries from which they came. Some of them had moved back to Jerusalem. Some traveled through Jerusalem. And in particular, many of the widows who had no other means within their particular community to provide for themselves would go back to Jerusalem, hoping to spend the end of their days in Jerusalem near the temple, perhaps finding some help from the Israelites in Jerusalem. They've got a complaint, and the complaint is against 
the Hebrews. The Hebrews are those Jews who were born and raised in and around Palestine, probably Aramaic-speaking. And amongst them were the Twelve. They are part of the Hebrews. And so as this complaint from the Hellenist arises, it goes against the Hebrews, which is to say it goes against the apostles who are there as well. It is a leadership complaint. You're not doing what you ought to be doing, which is overseeing the even and fair distribution of food to everybody. You're showing partiality to the people that you like, the people that are like you, the Hebrews, and you're ignoring the Hellenists, and they complain. And again, we see Luke using a template from the history of the church and now taking the template and putting it on the early church so that we understand who we are. We understand our course and the trajectory of it. It looks the same. We are people of a great deliverance, like Israel, who was in bondage in Egypt and then was delivered by God. People of a great deliverance were initially joyful because of the great deliverance that we've experienced, and then we become disappointed. We become disappointed because things aren't exactly the way we conceive that they should be. In other words, they're not perfect. It's the same story that happened to Israel coming out of Egypt, and it is the exact same story that is happening here with the same result. Namely, they complain. They complain about the food. We have all got to be aware of our propensity to complain. That is the biblical message here. Every single one of us has it. And we must be about the task of self-awareness so that we understand the particular ways in which our own complaining spirit manifests itself, whether rolling the eyes, a cold shoulder, angry words, nagging, harboring something, gossiping about other people, or even avoiding things. You've got to become, we've got to become aware of those things, and then by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the power of His Spirit in our lives, we have got to put it to death and stop justifying ourselves. Complaining, a grumbling spirit, is no small sin. We treat it lightly because it's so common, but it is not something that is small. It has to be put to death. We have to see it. Think of Jonah. God can't get him to understand his compassion for the Ninevites. He can't get him to figure it out and understand why it is, and so the plant grows up, and the plant dies. Jonah, are you justified in your complaining? I'm justified. I'm completely justified in my missing of this plant. I'm justified enough to die. Sounds like Moses. God says, I've got some explaining to do to you. We all complain. Point number two. Complaints 
need to be heard. Now, that may seem counterintuitive to point number one. Maybe not all complaints need to be heard, but at least some complaints need to be heard. The reason is this. Complaints, even if sinfully done, harshly done, often contain within them some important truth, some opportunity that is buried in there to grow and to learn when we hear someone complaining about us. A legitimate concern might be hiding beneath a grumbling spirit. And if I'm the one then receiving the complaint, I've got to listen carefully. Now, that's not an excuse, of course, for a grumbling spirit, but rather it is a call for a discerning ear. How can anything be fixed? be improved. Very few things, by the way, get fixed in the broken world. They keep breaking. So at least how can they be improved? How can they be addressed? Unless someone speaks. Unless someone says, this is a problem. Some complaints are okay to make because it's a legitimate issue. And someone else has to hear. Widows not receiving food is important. It's a real problem. There may be a lot of things underneath of it, but that thing in and of itself is significant. We know the significance throughout Scripture. And the other issues that are related to it. And so you can, you can think here of how the conversation amongst the twelve then went. They wonder, is is there really partiality being shown? Are we doing that? Are we guilty of that? How, How do we then care for the Hellenists? How do we preserve the primary call that we, the Twelve, have? It's an important call that Jesus has given to us of the ministry of the Word and prayer, and yet this is an important thing as well. How do we preserve our function that God has given to us, as well as take care of this need. Maybe, maybe we're doing something wrong. Maybe the system we had worked for a while, but now we've outgrown our personal capacities. One gets the impression, if you put this together with the earlier chapter that we looked at about the generosity of the church, remember that a couple of chapters back, one gets the impression that where the, where the, remember the gifts of Barnabas were laid at the apostles' feet and the others would bring gifts to the apostles' feet? We don't know exactly how they did this, of course, but there's a sense of direct control and responsibility over the distribution of those gifts that was given to the apostles. And that's, of course, their problem here. Wait a minute, we, we are doing, we, we have to look at the, at the way we're doing this, at the exact thing that we're doing. Maybe... We need more laborers. And I, I, and I imagine 
that when that point was reached in the discussion, in the conversation, in the debate that the apostles were having, that the Holy Spirit worked right at that point to go, ding, 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 you've hit on exactly the right issue. The Holy Spirit takes the words of Jesus and reminds us of the words of Jesus. So when Jesus saw a lot of people and saw a lot of needs that he, in his human capacity, could not meet, he had compassion. And he prayed, and he instructed his disciples to pray. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers into the harvest. It's the verse that's on the front of your bulletin. And after that, there's a sending out. And in Luke, there's a sending out of the 70 that takes place as he says these words in particular here. The Holy Spirit reminds them of these things. Pray for more laborers. That is the solution in Acts chapter 6. It was Jethro's solution for Moses in Exodus chapter 18. It was God's solution for Moses in Numbers chapter 11 that we read. And Elijah, don't worry. You think you're the only one who can do anything for me? Don't worry. I've got Elisha, and I've got 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. The solution of God is in the very first words of the commands that God gave to humanity. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, because it takes more than two of you to do what I'm asking you to do. There has to be more laborers. But to get to that point, they had to listen to a complaint. And when you listen to a complaint, they, just like we, you have to fight through your initial anger. Who of us? Which of us? When someone comes to us with a complaint, it's just happy. That's great. Let me, ha- let me hear some more. We're angry. None of us want to listen to complaints. Now, we may put on a brave face because we're believers and we know we should put on a brave face when someone gives us a complaint. But really, what's going on inside is anger and frustration at the person who is there. We don't want to hear it. And we don't want to listen, especially if it's not exactly the most temperate complaint that we've ever received. You know, the apostles could have heard this complaint and thought, really? The Lord Jesus Christ just died for you. We're not a bank. We're not the government. We preach the word and we pray. We give you spiritual food. People are selling their houses and we're distributing things to, to you. Are you seriously going to complain? that somebody else got a little less than somebody else. We're giving, and you're complaining about the giving. That's how I'd have felt, at least humanly speaking. I'd have been offended and said, listen, go go resolve this. But they listen, and they talk, and they take time to hear what was a legitimate concern, even if it came disguised as murmuring as anger, as discontentment, as grumbling. That's what we've got to do. That's having a discerning ear. I suppose that no complaint will ever come to us in a form that makes us go, this is great, everything's okay. 
Someone could write the best complaint or say it in the nicest way, and my sinful reaction is, I don't want to hear that. I don't like it. Well, at least I don't like to hear it. But I've got to listen, and I've got to hear. Now, I, I want to say one other thing here. You can't please everyone. Right? I know. I'm a pastor. I can't please everyone. Uh, you know, the, the great comfort of pastors is neither did Jesus, and neither did Moses, and neither did Paul. You don't take that as license, but you take it as reality. You can't please the people who say, please preach shorter, and the people who say, please, please preach longer. You just can't. You can't please everyone. Some complaints are just complaints. And if they're just complaints, you just got to hear them and go, okay, thanks, I'll do, we'll do our best. I'll do my best. Okay, that's the reality. But you've got to listen and you've got to consider because lurking underneath, there may be something really valuable and really necessary to hear and important. Point number three. Wise people hear complaints and where those complaints are legitimate, they seek actual change. They look for actionable items to flow out of the discussion or the reflection that comes after the hearing of the complaint. The disciples wisely see, excuse me, I should say the 12, since the disciple term is being used broadly in this chapter to refer to the church as a whole. The, the 12 wisely see that the answer to this particular problem is not for them to work harder or to get up an hour earlier. They cannot solve this problem by applying more of their sweat and more of their time to the issue. The situation requires more hands. Now, I've quoted before a passage that I love from Paradise Lost, where Milton has Adam explaining to Eve as they reflect on their care of the garden and these gum droppings, the pricker balls, balls that mock our scant care and require more hands than ours if we mean to tread with ease. There was a lesson right there. The, the lesson of the garden is you're not enough. You're going to have to multiply. And that's the situation here as well. More hands are needed, which means, and this is important, that the disciples are going to need to relinquish some control and empower other people. And that feels hard, and that feels risky. Can I do this? Can I trust someone else to do this thing? Now, because of the attendant complexities of this task, it is not just I need a few more hands, but there's a lot beneath it. And so, in particular, because of this task, they're going to have to be men of good repute, full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. So the twelve do not abdicate their responsibility. Rather, they instruct, they provide the qualifications, and they provide oversight. They say this great and important Presbyterian phrase, 
You choose them, and we'll appoint them. And in so doing, they take this decision that is a problem of the people, and they put the resolution or the solution to this problem close to the people who have got the problem. And so they, they empower the people as a whole to deal with the very issue that is before them. You choose, you look amongst yourselves, you find the qualified people who can take care of this task, and here are the qualifications. And yet with entrusting that decision, there is also oversight. The oversight is, and we will approve it. We will appoint them then to the ministry that we are describing here. That's a good principle. It's a good principle that can apply in homes. If your kids are having a dispute, now I'm not talking about the very young, young ones, but if your kids are having a dispute, is there a way you can get them involved, get them close to the process of working through whatever the issue is? Now, final approval of that decision that might come out of that might be yours. Here's the instructions, here are the parameters. You guys resolve it, come back to us. It's a good principle. It's a good principle for the church as well, for the session, for the diaconate as well. There's a problem. Let me push it back out to a group of people to look at this issue, and the session, the elders still need to exercise oversight over that, and saying, yeah, that's a good, that's a good solution to that. But taking an issue, hearing it, taking an action then that you push back out close to the people is a wise thing to do. This organized and structural approach to the life of the church, it didn't stifle the growth of the church. Like, wasn't it better when there weren't all these deacons and all these elders and all this structure, this bureaucracy that we had to go through to get things done? Rather, it enabled the growth of the church and protected it at the same time. Now, all of us, every single one of us, again, periodically complain about leadership and about oppressive structures. We complain about government. We complain about our employers and management and the programs that they come up with. We complain about leadership in schools, and we complain about leadership within the church as well. Why does it take so long to do things? Thought I've brought this issue up before. Why haven't you taken care of it? We complain about leadership and organization. And to be sure, leaders and organizations and structures, we, we get it wrong, right? Sometimes you just get it wrong. That said, the structure and leadership of the church in particular, and we could extend this to some of these other areas also, homes and families, as, as is stated, I'm going to read this in just a second. In the Westminster Confession, in the Belgic Confession that I printed on the page after our worship, these things are gifts from God in order that the church might be protected and in order that the church might be preserved and grow. So we read this morning, unto this Catholic visible church, Christ hath given the ministry oracles and ordinances of God for the gathering and perfecting of the saints. Those are odd words to our ears. The oracles is the word of God. The ordinances are the sacraments of the church. But the ministry is the leadership of the church, the structure of the church. That too 
with the word, with the sacrament, is given by God for the maintenance and for the protection of the church. The Belgic Confession, I'm not going to read it. Read it later. It's beautiful. Says the same thing in actually more beautiful language in the Belgic for the protection of the church. God has entrusted these things. People are the solution to this problem that comes up in Acts chapter 6. People praying, people thinking, people choosing, and people serving. The names of the men that are appointed to the task here are, though some of them could go back and forth between Greek and Hebrew, they're, they're primarily Greek names. And the suggestion that comes to us as we read this is that not only was the decision pushed out towards those who were most concerned about the problem, but also the solution. And what we see here is that God is taking this opportunity to raise up laborers for the church, to raise up leaders, particularly for the Hellenist part of the church, for the Greek-speaking part of the church. And actually, this is a pivot point in Acts. We're going to see two of the men in particular over the next few chapters whom God uses in specific ways for the expansion of the church outside of Jerusalem. That's what God is up to here. I'm going to take a really difficult situation. I'm going to raise up people who are going to take this message going out and going further. Brothers and sisters, the church always needs people who are ready, anxious, and willing to serve. Our church needs that. We've got men whom you have nominated and who are in training for the office of elder and deacon, praise God. And we need people to rake leaves. And we need people to serve in the nursery. And I'm not just spitballing here. Raking leaves is a one-time event. Serving in the nursery, we really actually have that need. We need you not to say, I don't have any children, so I don't need to care in the nursery. Or I do have children, so I'm looking for someone else to care. We need more volunteers. We need people to serve as ushers. Simple tasks. Now, maybe, maybe they don't require all of the, the things that were required of these men, but we want you to be a believer and full of the Spirit of God and be wise as you care for these things. We do. Everybody complains. So, if you need to, complain. But do it well. Check yourself. Complaining is a very dangerous thing. So check your motivations, your attitudes, the timing, the tone. Check all those things before you complain. You might find yourself needing to be quiet instead of complaining. Check, check your thankfulness. If your thankfulness doesn't exceed your complaining, don't complain. Listen to the complaint. You might find some truth in it and do something about the complaint. Jesus took a bad situation. He's the master builder. And he took the corresponding grumbling and he raised up laborers through it. That's what we're seeing in this passage. The, what, what, what this is really setting up is the word. 
What Luke is saying is the Word continued to flourish. The Word continued to expand. And the Word expands through people who are equipped to take the Word. New laborers. And the result is this. The Word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. May God have mercy on us for our grumbling and complaining, but use it to those ends. Increased believers, increased laborers, the Word of God spreading out from us. Father, you know our hearts. There is no mystery to you as to whether our complaints are incorrect or whether they are legitimate. You know our motivations and our attitudes that are attached to them. You know the frequency of our complaints, the timing of them, the tone of them. Spirit of God, show us where we have crossed the line, where our complaining is simply grumbling and discontent. And yet, where we have opportunities to be part of growth, and that growth requires the hard thing of pointing out stuff that can be done better. And let us have courage to do that. Give us ears to hear when that takes place. And God, give us wisdom to take action so that your church grows, so that the word continues to spread, so that more hear it, so that more and more are saved. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.